This is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone is back with us to ease concerns about inflation, offer direction on interest rates, and a forecast for the year ahead. Well, Patrick, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've been around the block a few times. So have I, I guess, uh, 70 something years for you, 30 something years for me. So that makes us a hundred plus years combined. Have you ever seen anything like this economic period that we're experiencing right now? Does this remind you of anything or is it unique? Not at all. This is truly unique. You know, this was an artificial self-induced recession in the comeback from that recession has been extraordinary, but it also has pointed out that there is uh, some of the lingering impacts of the COVID crisis has created a disproportionate amount of money going into goods as opposed to services. Typically, uh, economic activity is defined as a combination of goods and services. You know, from a historical perspective, goods are way up, goods purchases are way up above normal and actually have accelerated because of this recession the COVID crisis, we're no longer in the recession, obviously, but the focus on goods has gone way up and services is still below its trend line. So consequently, we not only have supply chain disruption, which everybody talks about, uh, but we have a disproportionate amount of demand for goods. And so consequently, we are seeing some inflationary pressure from it, but the economy itself has come back fairly strong and I think has the ability to continue to uh, operate in a very positive manner because of the amount of, uh, of capital available at all levels. So it's, uh, it, this is an extraordinary experience. Yes, I, I've never seen this before. Yeah, the numbers are all over the board. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, that leads me to our next question, which you sort of answered there. Is, is there so much money out there that everything's going to be fine? Or is there so much money out there that we should be concerned about runaway inflation in the 1970s coming back again? <laughs> well, this is completely different than the 1970s, the stagflation era. If you look at the uh, prior inflationary eras, uh, you know, for the stagflation, there's been two or three minor upticks in inflation since then. Uh, they've all had one thing in common, and that is that inflationary pressure far exceeds GDP growth on an individual basis. So in other words, uh, you don't have the GDP growth. Maybe you have too much money uh, chasing too few goods, and consequently, you have an inflationary environment. This time, GDP growth has actually exceeded the inflationary growth. And so this is a little bit different. This is not like stagflation at all. Yes, we have a lot of dollars chasing uh, chasing things. It will have some inflationary impact and it will take a little longer than people think for it to get back to normal. Probably uh, 24 or 25 before we see inflation back down around 2%. But I don't think it'll be a disruptive factor and I don't think it'll exceed uh, 4%. So we'll see what happens here. It will take some parts of the world a little bit longer to get back online. So we're going to continue to have some disruption for a while. Okay, so you just said 2024 or 2025, not 23. No, no, no. To get back to 2%, you know, we will trend down. Uh, wow. But I don't think this is going to be particularly impactful because wage growth will exceed inflation during all this time. So you're not going to have the same circumstances you have below. You know, people ask me about stagflation all the time. I was an adult trying to make a living. And, and I will tell you the thing about stagflation was that 
the amount of economic activity didn't increase. We weren't producing more goods. We were basically flatlining on the production side. And consequently, the only way companies could, could show any sort of profitability was to continue to raise their rates. And that permeated every aspect of society. Uh, rate increases were followed by salary increases and so forth and so on. So that was a crazy period of time. This is not analogous to that in any way. Okay, that's good to hear. That's good perspective because a lot of us were kids back then and don't you know remember that period. We sort of remember it, but uh, it's it's good to hear. Uh, and speaking of wage growth, let's talk about the jobs. Uh, the October number was pretty impressive at uh, five hundred thirty-one thousand. Uh, September gets revised upward to three hundred twelve thousand. And when you parse through this report, you see the hospitality numbers pick up. That's good to see. So this is all good news. It is. It's got a ways to go, but it is good news. And, you know, we we will be dealing with this for a little bit longer, but cautiously optimistic that we are getting back on our feet, both economically, but also socially, especially if the pill that's been in, introduced to uh, fight infection of people that have encountered serious infections, it uh, proves out to continue to be as effective as it has in its initial studies we will relegate the COVID infection to something like the flu because mortality rates will go down dramatically. You know, one thing I want to say to everybody, and you need, you need to really listen to this because uh, the media has done a great disservice here. We keep thinking about COVID or no COVID. Uh, COVID is not going away. We want to relegate COVID to another version, another virus version, somewhat akin to the flu. It will, we'll never get rid of it entirely, but if we can live with it with an acceptable or lower mortality rate, we'll get by it. Human race has had many, many, many viruses like this. We adapt, they adapt, and we get along. So, um, you know, let's let's hope that we get a handle on this thing, that we get it so we have the medical ability to treat it and uh, reduce it from being a massive threat to us to being something we can live with. Yeah, no such thing as a post-COVID world, right? No. Fed meeting wrapped up recently, and, you know, there are some experts, pundits out there, who say the Fed is behind the curve here on on tapering, uh, on potentially raising interest rates. Uh, Jerome Powell comes out and obviously says he doesn't agree with that, uh, <laughs> and neither do the Fed governors for the most part. Um, where are you on this? I mean, do you feel good about where they're at with the, the bond buying and the tapering of that and interest rates and all that? I feel very blessed to be a, an American with a, with a Federal Reserve policy that was very aggressive and got us out of this quickly. There are a lot of places in the world that uh, have not had the structure or the financial ability to make up for a artificial drop in economic activity. The Fed's action has kept us viable, has kept our economy going. Uh, and they've gone on it too long. We don't know. We'll find out. I'm glad they've done what they've done. I'm not overly alarmed by it. And then candidly, let's just be really honest right now. I don't see the Fed. I see them tapering down, which will end next June. I don't see them raising rates overly aggressively. Some people say that the Fed rate will get up to 2.5 in a couple of years. You know, my gut on this is maybe one and a half, uh, maybe one and three quarters at the highest. But the Fed has a problem now that this is going forward that we'll have to deal with. And that is we have a tremendous amount of federal debt. And uh, if they drive rates up and then uh, we have to recycle some of that debt, then we have to recycle it at a higher rate level. So that's going to be unless it's absolutely necessary. I don't see the Fed getting horribly aggressive on rates. Okay. That's good to hear. You know, the rate thing, too, I think is interesting in relation to real estate. And I want you to talk about this because it's been a while since we've 
uh, talked about this on the podcast is, you know, when, when real estate people or people who are looking to buy a home here, the Fed's raising rates, they immediately think, oh my gosh, mortgage rates are going up. And that's not the case. Can you kind of explain that for people? Well, I, I can I, I explain it. No, uh, can I comment <laughs> on it? Yes, um, it doesn't go hand in hand. Uh, it will have an impact. I mean, let's just say the Fed raises from uh, it's at a quarter point right now. Let's say the Fed raises its rates to one point seven five or a one and a half percent increase. Will that automatically increase mortgage rates one and a half? No. Will it have an impact on mortgage rates? Yes. It will have an impact on the 10-year bond and mortgage rates typically run one and a half to two percent above the 10-year bond but then it doesn't just all track exactly in the same line in fact a really interesting thing the fed introduces its taper we have a lot of conversations about okay are they going to raise rates and the 10-year bond goes down uh it was 1.48 this morning so the 10-year bond is going in a very positive manner in terms of lowering rates, even though we've talked about now we're finally having to wind down of the of the uh, of the purchasing of uh, treasury bills and mortgage-backed securities. So the direct correlation isn't there. If the Fed got to 1.75 percent, I would see mortgage rates getting up to four and a half eventually, maybe four to three quarter. I maybe even see 5% by 2024. I mean, that's historically, that's still very attractive. So I'm not overly worried about a direct correlation in terms of rates going up. Okay. You know, and that's interesting too. I mean, where we've been in the two and a half to three range or roughly there, all things being relative, you know, I mean, you've got a lot of people who got used to that. And so, I mean, you even hear 5%, Pat. I mean, you and I, I bought my first home at nine. I know you probably bought yours in double digits. I mean, but people even hear 5%, my goodness. Whoa. You know, it's, but I think it'll be gradual though, right? I mean, it's not, this isn't going to happen overnight. And that's a big part of that, right? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be gradual. It'll be gradual. And then, you know, The FHFA has asked both Fannie and Freddie to come up with some equitable housing lending by January. Now, reading between the lines, I think what they're saying here is they want more people to be able to borrow money from the GSEs. And so equitable financing here, equitable housing opportunity will get more people the ability to to buy a home because they will qualify for a mortgage. So I think there'll be, I think we can offset the increases in terms of its impact on activity. Um, I don't see this being horribly disruptive at all. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm not overly worried about it right now. When you look at, uh, as I am, uh, Q3 GDP number right at 2%, lowest number since the pandemic, uh, well, that free fall in spring of, of 2020, consumer spending too, it all over the place, uh, way, way down after a 12% rise in Q2, it's uh, you know 1.6% in Q3, just a lot of ups and downs right now. What's your take on this? And, you know, is it supply chain? Is it? No, it's called Delta variant. That's all this is. This is just simply the impact of the Delta variant. It happened quickly. It slammed brakes on things. It made people go, whoops, you know, hold on, what's going to happen? It sent a a fairly dramatic uh, shock through the economic and through our emotional outlook on things. Yeah. It was quick, it was significant, and, and the reaction to it was strong. So I'm not overly concerned about that. And I think Q4 will be a lot stronger. That's good to hear. This supply chain thing is interesting. I mean, you know, the media will tend to 
blow this thing up. I see you laughing. For those of you listening to the podcast, I see you chuckling at that. But I mean, you know, people see these headlines and, oh my gosh, there won't be any Christmas presents this year. And yet I went to Walmart and to Fred Meyer over the weekend and they were both loaded with all sorts of Christmas stuff. So I thought, well, you know, hey, let's not, let's, let's sort through the hype, right? Uh, where are we at with this? What's the impact on the global economy? And, you know, it's a global economy. So what's going to happen in the U.S. with this supply chain thing, say, over the next year or so? Oh, I think it'll uh, it will smooth out again. As I mentioned earlier, the amount of money going into goods uh, went up dramatically. I uh, just give you an idea. There was an estimate this morning, uh, and this is an estimate because it's hard to quantify entirely. But uh, a very sophisticated guy that uh, I think I think a lot of went through a process of trying to figure out exactly how much of retail sales had gone up since the pandemic started, in the, well, or over the last two years. And uh, retail sales, in his opinion, are up 29% over the last two years. That is so far beyond anything we've ever seen that it's just mind-numbing how much increase there's been in the purchase of goods. And e-commerce has facilitated that. So what we have is we have a very extraordinary situation in which we've had a tremendous amount of demand. Uh, it will taper off, and I think that, that uh, we are getting the supply chains fixed. I'm going to tell you something that, that I sincerely believe, and that is that there is some positive to all this, and that is that we are going to have a more diverse, more sustainable supply chain after this because of it. Uh, you're going to see people move manufacturing to multiple places. You're going to see the supply chain, chain be a, a heck of a lot more sturdy and consistent after this pandemic because we're not going to be relied on one or two sources or one or two avenues to get goods to the U.S. market. So um, I don't see this being a prolonged problem, and I do see it being actually a situation where we become even more efficient in our global economy. That's good to hear. You know, housing, uh, when we talked about this this spring, and it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of concern. There was not a lot of inventory out there. And, you know, you said at the time, here's what will happen. And once again, you were right. Rates remain steady. Uh, we started to see more resales come on. I'll just talk about the market I live in in Boise and see if that's reflected elsewhere. But, you know, started to see just keeping an eye out there. Oh, driving around. There's another. OK, great. You start seeing more things popping up. And, and the builder inventory also caught up. And you predicted that as well. That's what I'm seeing in Boise just from a layman's perspective. Is that what's happening in other markets or is that just my market? Well, let's, uh, let's quantify your market a little bit. Boise is now the most unaffordable city in America. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> and, you know, it has, it has uh, benefited greatly uh, from what we loosely call a change in quality of life priorities. Because of the pandemic, uh, more people have retired a lot of people have moved to smaller locations. People have moved out of urban environments to suburban environments. You've seen some real changes. Uh, people are more conscious of the jobs they have, where they live, the quality of the home they live in. So quality of life has become a little bit more paramount in people's thought process. And, uh, you know, but, but do I, am I worried about uh, the real estate market going upside down or builders not building? Not at all. Uh, builders are going to continue to be very aggressive. They're going to accelerate they're building volumes as supply chains become more dependable than get products and goods. We're still seeing uh, significant fluctuations in prices around different kinds of goods that builders use. That is abating somewhat. Lumber prices have come down. 
Copper prices are still up. Some other things are still expensive. We're still having an impact there, but builders are looking to do more developments. We're seeing more starter homes now being built than we have in a long time. You know, here's a funny number for you, just to give you some perspective on that. In 1980, 40% uh, of all new homes being constructed were technically starter homes. In 1980, 40%. In 2019, 7%. So we've had a real shortfall for a long time, but builders are focused on that. Builders want to build and they will continue to build and that volume of construction will accelerate as these supply chains smooth out a little bit. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Patrick, because uh, you know we're looking at a Toll Brothers neighborhood in our general vicinity where we live here in Meridian, Idaho. And, and I thought it was interesting in looking at the plat a different tier of homes in different areas. So they were building entry-level homes, they're building mid-level homes, and they have a pocket of higher-end homes all in yeah. the same community and all kind of woven together around a, a swimming pool and a community park. A lot of nice parks like that around here. But I thought that was interesting because 10, 15 years ago, they would have plowed that out and it would have all been, you know, luxury homes, right? It, it Different mindset now. It, there definitely is. And I think uh, we've underbuilt now for gosh, at least, uh, at least 12 years. Yeah. And, uh, it's going to take, you know, my personal opinion, five to eight years to even get back so that supply and demand are in some sort of, for new homes is some sort of balance, but builders are doing more of the starter homes and they're being more, more flexible in how they're coming at the market. Do you have any statistics on that off the top of your head? I mean, you know, you touched on that and I remember you famously told me about 10 years ago, we would have a housing shortage in the midst of the carnage from the last uh, epic meltdown we had in 2008, and that came to fruition. You know, I talked to a friend in Sacramento who says, man, you know, Sacramento is now the most expensive market in California because of all of the in-migration out of the Bay Area. Uh, obviously, the same is true here in the Boise area with so many people. A lot of Northern California folks retired and moved to Boise. Southern California people bought a home here thinking that they're going to move here in the next two or three years. They're only here for a weekend every couple of months, but they bought that home in the last year or two. Very interesting what happened uh, over the past decade with the lack of homes built. It's just astonishing when you, you think about it. Well, it is. And again, the, the real shortfall was on the lower end economically. And a lot of that was a byproduct of the Great Recession because we really tightened lending standards dramatically and they yep. remain tight. Now they were loosening up a little bit before the pandemic, but relative to where they were in the early 2000s, they are tight. And then, uh, you know, so products, we, we know we don't longer have all those products out there. I, I hate the word subprime, but you know, <laughs> subprime and, and uh, products that facilitated ownership on the lower end. So consequently, starter homes in the lower end of the market suffered greatly uh, from the Great Recession until just now. And so we do have a big shortfall there. We are, like I mentioned earlier, seeing the FHA, FAA wanting the GSEs to now have an equitable housing type product. You're going to see more, more potential types of mortgage products for people that would buy starter homes. If you look at the mortgage, the mix of uh, borrowers right now for new mortgages, it is about two thirds over 760 FICO score. Yeah. I mean, it is absurd how tight it's been and how high the lending standards have been. So 
we're going to change that. I'm confident we'll change that and hopefully we'll continue to sustain that change in a rational manner so we don't get upside down with crappy products. But that's going to facilitate more broad-based uh, buying. In terms of the, the social impact of, of the pandemic and people looking for quality of life changes, I think some of that will be permanent. How much, I don't know. Um, how much of the, will this continue with people looking to move to smaller markets or suburbs? I think it will abate a little bit. I don't think it will continue at the current rate. But we'll see. I mean, people are much more cognizant of more people are retiring earlier. Uh, people want to buy a home. They think about having an office in it so they can work from home a little bit. Yep. Um, just people are being more conscious of their family, which is a good thing. You've kind of touched on a little bit of all of this stuff, but I want to button this up with, uh, you know, the home stretch 2021. Hard to believe it's already <laughs> almost Thanksgiving. Um, let's talk about this. Uh, how do we wrap up the year? Give us your general forecast for the year ahead on all things we've talked about. It sounds like you are very optimistic, and, and that's great to hear. Well, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic uh, because I think things will get better and not worse. Uh, how optimistic? I'm trying to be a little bit cautious. I do think there's a lot of things going the right direction here. Uh, we are progressing into year end as a gradual decline in volume, a little bit more seasonal in nature than we've seen in a couple of years. And uh, I'm looking at 2022 and saying, hey, I do think that resale will be down a little bit, not much, maybe maybe 10 percent. You know, a lot of the a lot of the prognosticators out there are saying that it'll be the same as it was this year. It may be close. I think it's going to be down just a little bit because this year was extraordinary on resale. Mm -hmm. uh, refi will probably be down 40 percent from this year, which was down about that from last year. And that's just a function of uh we, we had a massive refinance wave. Rates will go up a little bit. There'll still be refinances out there. Um, I think it'll be a good year for, for our business, a good year for real estate in general, a much better year than uh, two or three years ago. So I'm pretty optimistic about 2022. I see uh, 2023 a little bit slower, 2024 maybe a little bit slower, but still okay. Um, I think we're good in the real estate industry till the next recession. And uh, when that happens is a good question. But uh, I, I see, I, I don't know, I see real estate being strong for the foreseeable future because, again, the, uh, the demand so far exceeds supply that I don't see that changing in the next five to eight years. I really don't. Thanks to WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG. Thank you.